are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are standing by. We would love it if uh, you let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you haven't yet done so, please just take two seconds out of your day. If you're listening to us, iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcast platform of your choice, just click that little subscribe button. The more of you that do that, the more that grows our podcast and the more that convinces our benevolent overlords here at CRTV to continue to underwrite the cause to make it free for those of you to listen to each and every day. And if you've already done that, thank you. And if you could leave us a positive review, if you got an extra couple of minutes to do that, those definitely help. And so many of you have done that already, and we really appreciate that as well. Now, speaking of CRTV, we just wrapped up production for our CRTV show. Let's give the audience a preview. And Todd, uh, I'm going to go to you. What what do you want the audience to be looking for later today at CRTV.com? Well, I think if you're like me, you'll definitely want to see uh, Paul, Apostle of uh, Christ, uh, after uh, the discussion uh, that Steve uh, had about that. If you're like me, I don't know. I don't have any desire to see uh, Roseanne, but I think we had a really interesting discussion because there's really smart people who aren't, uh, are, who have different opinions about uh, what this show means. Uh, there's some, you know, is it gonna? Is she now gonna be back in the conversation to the degree Ellen is, for example? Um, it remains to be seen. I I don't know. That's a great thing if if, if uh, Roseanne. Is but I also think that uh, if her show is done right, it will offer uh, the American people uh, potentially something worth watching. Just don't make this into you know your new uh, political idol. Too late. So uh, if you want to watch today's uh, CRTV show. <laughs> CRTV show promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. That'll give you not just access to our show and all the shows we've ever done here for CRTV, but every single show from the great one, Mark Levin, right on down. CRTV.com, promo code DACE is how you can get access to CRTV today. Now, of course, it is a Theology Thursday here on our podcast, and we've been doing uh, this theme of episodes this week centered around Holy Week. So, of course, Theology Thursday and Holy Week is a perfect marriage, and this week we're going to tackle, really, the most important question, theological point, I I would say, in the history of mankind. You know, we do worldview any day. And every day, anyway. Because, as we said the other day, worldview is essentially the basis for everything. I mean, other than, uh, other than the creator himself giving us breath of life and creating the cosmos, the most fundamental notion of existence is worldview. It determines everything we think, believe, act, behave, respond to. Everything. So, other than that, it's sort of important. All right. But during this segment each week, we go even a little bit deeper uh, into the dirt 
to dig up the roots of the things we discuss and debate each and every day. Of course, this is called Holy Week. And why is it called Holy Week? Well, it begins on Palm Sunday. For those of you that don't know, uh, and it's okay that you don't know. For a lot of years, I didn't know a lot of these things either. So Palm Sunday, this is when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling one of the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. And he is feted, meaning he is celebrated by the people uh, of the Holy Land. And one of the things they say to him is, you are the son of David. Why, did the, why was that important? Because uh, God promised King David that his line of succession would never end amongst God's covenant people, and that therefore the Messiah would ultimately come from King David's line. And they, and they chant at him, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. What does that mean? Glory to God in the highest. Uh, that doesn't explain, though, why it's called Palm Sunday. Well, because one of the things that was done in Middle Eastern cultures, in fact, it's still done in some Middle Eastern cultures, and to this day, is in order to exalt a, a, a conquering returning hero or a, a heroic figure, you wave palm branches at them as a sign of fetting, as a sign of exaltation, of celebration. And so therefore it is called Palm Sunday. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, but by the end of the week on Good Friday, they take him outside the city gates of Jerusalem to a place called Golgotha, uh, and they hang him on a tree. And they do this after torturing him brutally. If you think you know what a crucifixion looks like because maybe you saw the passion once, that's the closest modern American media has ever come to showing you what really goes on. And you might have seen a third of what it really is. The scourging, the torturing, the mutilation. Um, he is essentially disfigured, which ends up fulfilling several of the other messianic prophecies from Isaiah specifically. Uh, and he is taken out there. So you're, you're probably asking, Steve, why is that Good Friday? What do you guys call that? Well, it's because it's the reason he did this and endured this for us. So that, you know, it's one of the songs we like to sing in modern American churches has this line, we'll never know how much it cost to see my sin up on that cross. And so he did this to pay the penalty for all the sins in the world that had been committed up until that point in time and all the sins in the world that would be committed until the end of time. And that's why he endured that for you and for me. And that's why the Bible says about him at this moment, love knows no greater man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. He did this to lay down his life on your behalf so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty for your sins, which is hell. You wouldn't have to pay that penalty. And then on the third day, some of you ask, well, you know, Friday is, and Sunday are only two days away, so what do you mean this third day thing? Well, in Bedouin Middle Eastern cultures and in the Jewish calendar, they actually counted the day of as a day. It's not like our Julian calendars, our Western calendars. You know, if I say to you, hey, we're going to meet up in three days, and today's Wednesday, you're thinking Thursday, Friday, okay, I'm going to see you on Saturday. You don't count the day of as the day. And that culture you did. Okay, so Friday in and of itself was a day. Friday, Saturday, and then we get to the next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. The stone is rolled away. Jesus walks out, conquers the last enemy, death. is seen by over 500 witnesses, including his own disciples, and it changes their lives and the course of human history forever. That last statement is not debatable. There is no skeptic or scoffer who can make a legitimate case and not be ta and still be taken intellectually seriously that the belief in the events I just articulated changed the course of human history and continues to do so to this very day. That is not a debatable point. What is debatable, though, is whether those events are actually true. Are they legend? Are they myth? Are they history? No one will argue that they changed the course of history 
the belief in them. But people believe things all the time that aren't true. And we're fond of saying on this show that just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. You believe, because it's true, you should believe it. You believing it doesn't make it true. I, I, tell, I hear skeptics and scoffers say to me all the time, well, I don't believe what you believe. I don't care. You know, I'd like not to believe that it ever, I'd like to not believe we had a, a, you know, a blizzard on a day that my wife was traveling on the interstate. So honey, um, you know, head on on the road, you'll be perfectly safe. I don't believe it. Does the blizzard still happen? Cotton, you're cotton picking right it does. You're dang skippy it does. The blizzard doesn't care whether you believe it or not. The fact that you don't believe what I believe doesn't mean what I believe isn't true. Just any more, by the way, than me believing it doesn't make it true either. The fact you and I believe or don't believe has nothing to do with whether an event is true. An event is true or whether or not we believe it. Now, this time of year, Todd and Aaron, a lot of people with our persuasion and worldview, and I've done these before myself, and they're a valid exercise, they will attempt to defend the belief in these chains of events from an affirmative standpoint. Just because I'm Mr. Contrarian and I just like to zig when everybody else dags, it's just the way I roll. I want us to do so from a negative standpoint. Meaning, if you, if you find yourself in the place of a skeptic or a scoffer, about the events that billions of Christians across the globe are commemorating this week with Holy Week. If you find yourself in the skeptical or scoffer category, and I once did as well, I think, frankly, one of the reasons I'm good at this, uh, and it's one of the few things in life I'm really good at, but I think one of the reasons I'm good at this is I used to think like the skeptics and the scoffers. So I, I, I know every question you're going to ask before you ask it. I know, I know, I know every setup question. I know what your, I know what, I know what your cornering question. I know where you're trying to lead the conversation. I know I did it too. And in case you don't know, I'm pretty good at arguing. I do it for a living guys. I'm pretty good at this. It's just a matter of whether or not what I'm arguing is, is right. <laughs> That's not always true. All right. But I'm good at arguing even when I'm wrong. That's why people pay me to do this. Okay. So I get, I know, I know what your trapdoor questions are. I know what the third question you will ask after this leading question will be, because I've done this. I played this game out myself. And I came to a place where ultimately the only thing that's that satisfied my intellectual curiosity for why we are the way we are, why the world is the way it is, and what must be done about it was this biblical worldview. Nothing else had the satisfactory answers. Is there a most memorable conversation along the lines you're talking about when you were a non-believer and you were talking to a believer? Is there one that is kind of the yes, one that— Yes, I can think of one. And it was the, the pastor of who eventually became the first pastor of the first church we ever joined. And— um, I've talked about this before. When our oldest was first born, we brought her home, and I mean, I was I was a mess. Daddy issues, porn addict. I mean, I was a total mess, okay? So I'm like, I'm, I'm not equipped to be this kid's dad. So I went to my wife one day and said, you know, you're not going to believe this, but I think maybe we got to look at joining a church. I mean, we're okay, but I think Hillary's right about this one. It's going to take a village to raise this kid, all right? So we don't need it. We'll be good, but maybe we ought to get some better friends, some better infrastructure. You know that story, right? You know? Um, and so... Right away, because of my involvement in conservative politics, going back to college Republicans when I was a kid, I knew who, I knew where the leftists were. 
I didn't, I didn't know the theological differences, okay, but I knew the political ones. So I, right away, any church, I went online, any church that belonged to the National Council of Churches, the World Council of Churches, I just eliminated them. Now, I didn't know the denominational differences. I didn't know why Baptists were Baptists, and I didn't know the difference between Catholics and Protestants other than Mary. I, I didn't, you know, but sure. like a lot of Americans, because I knew what the Ten Commandments were and I voted Republican, I thought I was a Christian, but I really didn't have a clue, all right? And so we started interviewing pastors, and I took suggestions on my old sports radio show. People would email me suggestions of a good local church to join. And I would go and interview them, Lee Strobel style. This is before I actually read Case for Christ. So that's what fascinated me about his book is he did what I did. He went out, he started interviewing experts. So I started interviewing pastors. I want to know where they were at and what kind of people they were. And so I, 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 thought, I thought I had thought up this one question that no one else had thought up before. And then you find out later on that like every, every pretend wannabe know-it-all asks this question, all right? And now it's funny. I have pretend know-it-alls ask me this question. I used to be the one asking it. Well, you know, what if there is a guy in like the um, aboriginal forest and missionaries never reached him ever before, okay? And so he's never heard this gospel thing, okay? And like he, he dies saving a school bus. Of course, I have no idea why there would be a school bus and an aboriginal forest that missionaries couldn't reach. But don't push back against my non-critical thinking because I'm emoting right now, okay? And so if he like died saving school kids in a fire, and no one ever got to him with this gospel thing before. You mean to tell me that your God sends that guy to hell? Right? You've, have you heard this? a takeoff of this question a, a oh, few yeah, times? Yeah, and it's a takeoff of the gospels where yes. they, they say, okay, uh, Jesus, this this uh, man dies and marries. The, yes. And uh, the wife has right. to marry the brother and the next right. brother. Who do they go to heaven with? Exactly. It's that kind of question. Yes. And I asked several pastors this question, got cliched answers. One pastor came to our apartment. We didn't have to go to his office. He came to our apartment on a Saturday morning and answered all my snotty questions for two hours, and I saved this one for last. And he pulled out his New Testament. <laughs> two hours of day snotty questions. That's a book. Well, about 30 minutes yeah. was, was, was fake niceness, you know. And you know, I, small talk I, is not my spiritual gift, you know. I'm that. familiar with that. <laughs> Uh, Todd, Steve's pet peeve, is familiar with the fact that Steve's spiritual <laughs> gift is not small talk. You know, so part of it was fake niceness, getting to know people, you know, letting them play with the, the kid, you know, the baby kind of stuff. And then we got done, you know, so I let them pretend, think I was nice for a while, and then we got down to brass tacks, you know. And he takes me to the, he opens up his Bible, which made me nervous right away. Wow. Um, Listen to that, America. I mean, it's brand, that's brandishing a weapon to the scoff. Why, why do you think scoffers and unbelievers say, make your argument without the Bible? It's the same reason you would say to the world's greatest superpower, conquer me without your army, okay? Because I can't beat that. I know I can't defeat it. So, so try beating me another way without the most devastating, powerful weapon that you have. Know what I'm saying? And uh, he pulled, takes me to a place in the New Testament which says that, God did uh, that, that essentially a God who would spare not even his own son can be trusted. And he looked at me and he said, I think that if God is willing to sacrifice all that he has and all that he is for you, that he can be trusted. I don't know the answer to your question, but I do know that a God who would not even spare his own son on you and I's behalf is worthy of being trusted to deal with such situations justly. 
And I thought that was real cool, and he had me. And so we were at his church the next Sunday. Well, it's such a good answer because it tells you everything while doing so through humility. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gives you the answer, but say, I don't have the, all the answers at the same time. That that paradox mm-hmm. comforts people, yes. yeah. if said well. Yes, because even then I was, listen, I'm a Star Trek fan. I love paradoxes. Even then I asked, even as an unbeliever, but as a debater, a philosophy guy, I liked to ask questions where I really wasn't so much interested in your final answer, but I wanted you to, I wanted to see how you worked your way to that answer. Mm -hmm. Because that tells me how, whether we're getting cliches here or you really care, whether Mm -hmm. you're into this, you know what I'm saying? Whether there's a sincere heart there. So what I want us to do today is I want us to conquer or to conquer, to, to take on Easter for Worldview Wednesday, but in reverse. I want us to take it on from the position of a skeptic and a scoffer. Because one of the great tactical mistakes I think believers make is we have conflated having a ready defense as St. Peter commands in one of his uh, one of his epistles. Always have a ready defense for the hope that you have, right? And we've talked about this before. The Greek word there, used for defense is apologia, where we get the term apologetics or defend from, okay? Having a defense is not the same as being on the defensive. Think Nick Saban has a ready defense every Saturday of the college football season. Does Nick Saban have a ready defense? Sometimes they force fumbles and create pick sixes. Yeah. Are they ever on the deep? Are they almost ever on the defensive? When Nick Saban's on the sideline, do they always have a ready defense? Yes. Are they almost never on the defensive? Yeah. See the difference sure. what I'm trying to point out here? Having a ready defense does not mean I'm on the defensive. And so what happens is, this is how American culture has changed in the last couple of generations. The way America operated for a couple of centuries is that those who had the founding Judeo-Christian moral or worldview of the culture... They set it in the jury box, determining, giving the verdict of which direction the country would go. And the two sides of an argument, one would be the prosecutor, the other defense, presenting their cases. And those with that founding American view would be the ones that would stand up like Commodus and Gladiator and give the thumbs up or thumbs down on which direction we're heading, right? That's changed now. Here's the way America works now. The way America works now is pagans sit in the jury box. And those of us with that founding view of the country, we're one of the parties now that has to bring our case before the, the, the jury and convince them. Well, I can promise you, in any trial, if you're only the ones being cross-examined, you're going to lose every time. If you never get to cross-examine the other side, how come it's always a debate for a defense whether to put their client on the witness stand or not? How many can you think of that aren't crazy. Okay, maybe if it was one or two, you could say these guys were just nuts and wanted to, and, and you know, just wanted to pull a prank, a prank of history. They wanted to DB Cooper everybody. Okay. A hundred? A hundred of them wanted to do this. Really? Seriously? Wasn't a single dissenter in the bunch that just stood up and said, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going to pass on that Kool-Aid because my wife's hot and I'm going to go home now. Thank you. You know what I'm trying to say here? Perfectly so. So if you're a skeptic and a scoffer, you have to answer that. You got to answer that one. Good luck with that. So right now, you've got two difficult questions to ask or to answer. One, you have to explain why the the entire arc of human history was altered 
by the belief that this Jewish rabbi walked out of a tomb three days after he was tor- tortured to mutilation disfigurement and then died on, in, on, a, on a cross. And, and how do we know that he died? Well, they put, a, they put a blade, a sword, a Roman sword in his side and blood and water rushed out. Okay? So you now have to explain why all of human history, its arc up until that point in time, fundamentally changed and is still on that same trajectory since people believed that occurred. You got to explain that. And then you have to explain why hundreds of people knowingly died, knowingly died for a cause that they knew was false. Why? And this goes on into the second and third century. Christians go into the arena Back when my Lions, man, were the best team every Sunday. You, you didn't beat the Lions back then. They won every single game. Every Sunday in the Roman arena, they, the Lions won undefeated every weekend. Okay? Because they would go in there and devour the Christians and tear them apart limb by limb and then eat their flesh right there in front of adoring thousands of Roman pagans. Why would you endure that when all Caesar would say to you before opening the cage up, what did he say? Will you recant? Will you take it back? Worship me instead. Wouldn't some of them have said, nah, nah. hell yeah, I'll take that. Thanks. Because I could think of some crappy ways to go, and this is probably amongst the poopiest. So yeah, I'm going to take that deal. That's a, that sounds like a better deal to me. Don't you think? I'm certain. So then why didn't they? You have to answer those questions. You guys want to get in on this? Well, I'm also, when you talk about the continued level of conviction before they died, what we're talking about 12 uh, the disciples many of whom were uh, fishermen not literate uh, those kinds of people may pick up the sword and fight some sort of uh, Muhammad like uh, revolution but to you, you you often talk about I, I wish the Republicans and Donald Trump were uh, as conniving as people give them credit for what kind of black state capacity do you think that this collective and, you know, many more, like you said, the 500 had coming from all the varied backgrounds uh, that they did to convincingly pull something off without resorting to violence. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, we see all this great scams in order to keep them propped up, at least for a while. We saw that with communism. You have to keep it propped up with violence. This yes. was this was this was increasingly propped up with violence against us, as you say, just accepting the death, not bringing death to others. What, what you're saying is now now you're not only claiming these guys made the whole thing up, right. and are fools. Now you're claiming they win against human instinct. Exactly. The number one instinct of any species is what survival. Yeah. So now you're because even if they right. made it up. Even if they made it why up. Why aren't they pulling off their scam exactly. like everybody else? Why, why, why aren't they saying, hey, hey, storm the Bastille, fight for what you right. believe in. Right. Don't let them do this to us. That's the human instinct, right? When you're being wrongfully charged or threatened with something. The only rational explanation for why they didn't do that is who else didn't do that? Their Lord. Their Lord. And they were emulating him. Tell me, Aaron, what would be another rational explanation for that? There isn't one. We often say, and well, we always say on this show that um, the issue of life is a window toward, to the soul, but so is the question that you ask anyone, who is Jesus? 
because of this, because it will prompt this conversation. But people don't want to have this conversation. It confronts the very root of who we are and whose we are, how we were made and what our, uh, our, what our purpose in life, our place in life is. That's why you won't be able to have this conversation with very many people. But if you are... If you have been blessed with the opportunity to have this sort of conversation where you can answer some of their objections and they're willing to listen, you need to know what some of the answers are. You can debate the existence of God philosophically, but the Christian religion, as you've said many times, and I don't want to steal your thunder, Steve, but as you've said many times, the Christian religion is the only one that boils down to a historical event. That's right. Did this happen or did it not? It's not based on a dogma. It's not based on a creed. It, it includes dogmas and creeds, but they're not the basis for the belief. The basis for the belief was, was this guy dead and then alive? That's the basis for it. Because if it's not true that he didn't walk out of that tomb, then the best we have to offer the world is an Aesop's fables. You know, we're life eat, coaches. Drink, eat, drink, and be merry. Yeah, you know, we... Still, the general teachings of Christian humility and humanity are still a pretty good way, a decent way for a human being to live. So we're Tony Robbins. You know what I'm saying? Right. You, and, and at that point, you do get to pick and choose which parts you like and which ones you don't. But if, he, if the dude walked out of that tomb, then you have to reconsider everything that you thought from that moment forward when you acknowledge that. That's the challenge. Did this fact of history occur or not? If it did not, then you must explain why the trajectory of human history totally changed by acknowledgement of this event to the, and it's, to the point it still has impacted the trajectory of history we are on now 2,000 years later. You then must explain why those who witnessed the event knowingly went to their deaths believing what they knew at the time to be a false flag and a lie. Why they all did that. Why, there weren't, why they didn't fight amongst each other. Why they didn't splinter off and some fight back to keep the lie going or some, some recant in order to save their own hides. Why didn't those things occur? Those are tall tasks to defend good luck with that and you've been addressing all this from the perspective of the scam of uh, the skeptics uh the, who are outside of the church but let's just face it steve how how many millions of air quote christians are there in this country for every one of them that will go to some kind of sunday service if you ask them the question do you believe as a rock solid certainty that jesus christ risen from the dead what percentage of you say do you, I don't you know. think answer yes? I don't know. I, whatever, be, you, you know you're would, terrified to hear the answer. It, it would be disappointing. And here's the reality. If you don't believe Jesus Christ physically walked out of that tomb, what are you doing there? you're not a Christian. What are you doing You're there? just not. You're not. And that's on the authority of the word of God itself. doesn't mean you're a terrible person. doesn't mean you can't contribute something to society, but you're not a believer. If you mean believe you're in lying some, to yourself. You, well, yes, but you believe in some metaphorical resurrection or some spiritual resurrection. You're not a Christian. Why did Jesus have to physically rise? It's the same reason that he had to physically come. Are, physically we, are we material beings or not? Yes. He is, the, he is the embodiment of what? Whose image are we made in? His. We're not, we are not exclusively spiritual beings. We're not exclusively material beings. But what hope what hope would fall would the fallen human flesh have of redemption? 
if Jesus didn't walk out of that tomb in the flesh, what hope would we have? We would have none. That's why he walked out of that tomb in the flesh. So you have to answer, you're the, hey, listen, you want to challenge our belief system? You want to come back and say, well, you know, 500 witnesses, well, that's convenient. Where are the witnesses at? They're in the Bible. Okay. Do you think the Iliad and the Odyssey are legitimate history? When they, when, when they opened up the Iliad and the Odyssey in your college history class, did you scream, fake news? Did you? When they, when they, if you went to Hebrew school and they quoted you from Josephus, did you scream fake news at that? No? Okay, then. Well, first of all, Josephus specifically mentions Christ and Christians and his followers. Secondly, we have far more consistency of manuscripts of the New Testament than we do anything from Homer. Really, anything at all from the ancient world. We have actual manuscripts that are within decades of when these events are purported to have taken place. There is no better argument for a, the, the textual consistency and integrity of a document of antiquity, of, of antiquity than there is for the New Testament of the Christian Bible. There just isn't. In fact, we used to have, um, we used to have skeptics. You know, if you, here in our hometown, we have what's called Ingersoll Avenue. The guy that's named after was a very famous orator, historian, philosopher in the late 19th century. And he used to go around the country in a post-Darwinian age doing this presentation called The Mistake of Moses. Because Darwin has showed us that we evolved here from apes, Moses could not have written the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And since Moses didn't write Genesis in the first five books of the Bible, guess what? The rest of the Bible is not true either. And he used to say things like, "No one, there's no evidence that there was ever a King David. He's not mentioned in any other history books or anything. Who are the Hittites? The Bible starts talking to these ancient people, the Hittites. They're not in there. He used to say this in his presentations. Then what happened? About 20 or 30 years later, a new science was perfected called archaeology. And guess what they discovered when they started digging around there? The Hittites, King David. In fact, he used to, people used to make arguments Christ never lived. They don't, nobody intelligent even tries to make that argument anymore. So if no one ever intelligent, even intelligent, tries to make that argument anymore, well then, good luck finding a competitive theory as to why Christ's life changed the total trajectory an arc of human history then. Good luck. Because did Gandhi's life change the trajectory and, and total arc of human history? No, it did not. It did not. Give me some other guru, social reformer, whose life changed the arc of human history. Even if you think Mother Teresa, didn't, her faith wasn't real, but she was just a good social justice warrior. Did Mother Teresa... Did her life change the arc of human history? Uh, no. They still have the caste system down there in India? Yes. For the, for the deplorables and undesirables that she served all those years? Yes. Yeah, they do. She didn't change the arc of human history. Think you've got more humility and grace and mercy and compassion than Mother Teresa does? Man, you skeptics and scoffers, while call, calling everybody else self-righteous, you're choking on your own self-righteousness because these are the things you must believe. You must be willing to impose yourself upon facts. What do we call people who impose themselves upon facts to create alternative facts? What do we call such people? Crazy, foolish, self-righteous? Now we give them university tenure. But what are your alternative explanations then? Why? 
Why are those any less zany or crazy than the idea that he just walked out of that tomb and things went down just as they were reported to? This is probably why they put atheists in charge of religious studies programs so they make sure they don't have to answer those yes, questions. Yes, because if you're the prof in charge, you never have to answer the contrarian questions. You get to just be the prosecutor cross-examining on a persistent, consistent basis. Must be some fun course syllabi there at uh, Iowa State University. And if your argument then becomes, well, I, I, well, Jesus did live. He was a good moral teacher. I don't know that I believe that he died and rose again or not. Well, in, his, in the historical record, he claims himself to be God. So how could a good moral teacher be a liar? When we have people that are good moral and religious teachers and we find out they were in their private lives total crooks and hedonists, does that, does that bolster their credibility as a moral and religious teacher, guys, typically? Or does it tremendously diminish it? Uh, it does the latter. So what you're telling me then is somehow Jesus, Jesus, Jesus's credibility as just a good moral and religious teacher was bolstered by being a liar. Who does that? Who can you? Who else does that actually work for? Being a known liar? Nobody. That's crazy. That's nuts. When you boil it all down. Well, I don't think we need a savior. Okay. Well, then why are you the way you are? What's your alternative explanation then for why human nature is the way that it is? If we're just a, if we're just the result of random natural occurrences, then why why is there evil at all? Is it evil when a lion eats an antelope? Anybody call that evil? Do we ever call that evil? When a lion murders an antelope, does anybody call that evil? No. Why? It's the natural order of things. But if I murder you, do they call it evil? Yeah. Why? Why isn't that the natural order of things? Why does a lion murder an antelope? You're on my land. I was hungry, so I took. And why? And, you, I'm, and I'm bigger and more powerful than you. Natural selection. Suck it. What? Nobody argues yeah. with that. And why are you blaming me for being a capitalist? Why do I have to share my income with you? Exactly. This is survival of the fittest. That's why exactly do I have right. to do this? That's exactly right. This is not what you believe. So why does that? Well, Steve, we just evolved a moral code over time. Why would? Why would it be necessary to evolve a moral code over time? Why would human? Why would human beings, if they're just a species of a of an ecological habit? at why would they require the development of a moral code no other beings in all of the natural kingdom require why do we require it then why did why did natural selection then just decide that we had to evolve this moral code why does it make any sense how come they don't need that in the salamander kingdom why do we need it in ours and they usually give some. Well, it, it was it was pragmatic. Well, e even why? It, well, yeah, well, yeah, and even the wrong moral codes are almost never the, the wrong ones. When you pick pragmatic? up the sword, and you what, the, the, what's pragmatic is I'm bigger than you, and I take what I want. And um, I think your wife is hot, and I think your wife is hot, and I think your wife is hot. I'm gonna sleep with them all because I'm bigger and stronger than most of the women I want to sleep with too. That's what's pragmatic. That's 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 natural history right then and there. I mean, when a, when a, when a, if a lion procreates with another female lion, does the one he, pro, he procreated with before is she jealous? Do they have do they have crimes of passion in the jungle? Do they have those? Do you guys think? Are there rapes in the jungle? No. Why? See my point? Mm -hmm. So these are the questions that if you are a skeptic and a scoffer, you will have to answer. Good luck answering them. I once tried. It's why I'm no longer a skeptic and a scoffer. John 3.17 
Peace. I like you.